The, word ha the Lord has planted in you several scriptures. I believe the Lord would like to ask, sow one more seed as I read to you from the prophet Micah. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and almighty God, your word is indeed alive and active and pierces us. Plant in us, then, your word, and may we receive it with hearts that are open, hearts that are enthusiastic, hearts that are ready to live into the plan that you have laid before us. We offer these in our prayers, for this, too, is something that you have planted in us, the opportunity to speak to you freely with all that we are. So receive us that we might grow toward you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I am told this is a very smart congregation. <laughs> Recognizing how smart you are, I thought it best that I begin my sermon with an illustration, a quote from Albert Einstein. In 1952, Albert Einstein was asked by one of his PhD students, what's left in the world for original dissertation research? And Professor Einstein replied, find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. Prayer is indeed a fascinating subject, certainly worthy of a PhD dissertation, but so much more. It has been much researched, it's been preached about lots of times, and yet there is still so much to find out about prayer. Because prayer remains one of those esoteric things that seems to stand out and yet is least understood. Now, I don't mean necessarily its definition, but it's practice. And that's partly because people pray so differently. Some go to a closet to pray. Some pray out loud. Some, some pray from a written prayer that's been given to them. Some speak pray from their heart. Some are out loud. Some are very, very quiet. Some are thanksgiving. Some are intercessions, supplications. Prayer is so different. But it's more than just how different prayer is practiced. It's the fact that prayer, that people itself, people are themselves humbled, intimidated, even awed by prayer's power. Prayer is universally available, and yet very few of us access it. It's universally present among us and yet seems to be elusive. It is understood and yet feared. 
As I th you think about when you come to prayer, I would imagine there are many questions or thoughts that comes to your, come to your minds as you take whatever posture you take to pray. Thoughts like, how do I tap into that amazing resource that is, in fact, our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer? Life is so busy. When do I have time to pray? How, how do I dare put my innermost thoughts out there? How do I really know where my prayers go, let alone how they'll be received? F.B. Meyer, a Baptist preacher from some time ago in England, said, the great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Countless people are too uncertain or preoccupied or frightened or dubious, too dubious to pray. And so they ask chaplains and priests and rabbis and imams and prayer warriors to give voice to their concerns, their hopes, their dreams, and their fears. Most folks tend to leave prayer to the professionals, kind of like Greyhound. Go, Greyhound, and leave the driving to us. But be ye priest, or prophet, or peon, sage, silver-tongued, or just a simple believer, the privilege of prayer belongs to each one of us. It is one of the most accessible, tangible gifts that Jesus gave his followers. Jesus gave each member of the church permission, the privilege, to make petition to the sovereign God, our creator. And even in the prayer that he offered to his disciples and all who would recite it later, even we ourselves later this service, we are given the privilege to start by saying, our Father. This is Jesus, the Son of God. The Son of God has told us, the children of God, that we too may address God as father, we the daughters and sons. Allow me then to offer three counsels regarding this amazing privilege that is ours. The first is that prayer must become a priority. The second, I'll warn you, it comes with a price. But the third is that through prayer, when we take advantage of it, make it a priority, pay the price, we discover God's promise when God answers. So first, a little history. You have asked me to come here because I am the chaplain of the U.S. House of Representatives, and I am privileged to be that. The 62nd, in case you may or may not know, because in the spring of 1789, the organizers of the first Congress established the chaplaincy in the House and the Senate. Why? So that a Greyhound bus driver, a professional, would be available to pray for the Congress. It was actually two years earlier in the Constitution Convention of 1787 that Benjamin Franklin proposed a motion that the convention begin each day's session with prayer. Now, it may come as a surprise to you. The reason he did that is because the delegates who were there were not getting along. 
They were having a hard time coming to decisions. There was much acrimony. I know this surprises you. And Benjamin Franklin believed that the only way we would come together, they as a delegation, we as a nation, were if we were to start our days with prayer. Benjamin Franklin's famous speech, some of you may have heard it, the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And without God's concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. Hmm. No wonder we're still praying. Benjamin Franklin was convinced of the priority of prayer, so thanks to him, every legislative day, yes, every legislative day, begins with prayer. It is the first thing on the docket even before the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, it shouldn't take an act of Congress to convince us of prayer's priority. We, who are people of Scripture, would know that Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, and again in Romans, says, devote yourselves to prayer. Later in the book of Philippians, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice, a form of thanksgiving, a form of prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests known, be known to God. We are supposed to pray. It's ours, and it is our priority. But making a prayer priority means that one needs to be purposeful, one means, needs to be intentional. One must set time aside. But those are the only stipulations. How you do it is up to you. How the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you wish to engage in dialogue through the Spirit to God, your Creator, is up to you. You may go hide in a closet. You may sit in a pew. It may be on the bus on your way into work. It may be in the sunroom of your house. You may take a rote prayer and pray it every day and allow it to speak to you differently. Or you may have no words at all. It could even be a running dialogue throughout the day. And I don't mean the, oh God, moments. <laughs> but whatever it is, it should never be just a last-ditch effort. We must make the effort to become acutely aware of God's presence every moment of our day. And we are given that opportunity often in the solitude of our prayer. Because it's there that we learn how to hear. It isn't just a matter of what we say, but what we then receive in prayer with those who have ears to hear. Are your hearts open? Is the soil tilled? Are you ready to receive what God has to speak to you? And then how will you respond to God's will? That's what prayer is. And I'm sure that's what Benjamin Franklin had in mind. But as I said, I need to warn you, prayer can be dangerous. It means putting yourself out there. 
Now, I don't mean in the matter of the Pharisees with their robes out in the streets and their gloating about how their prayers are better answered than anyone else's. But prayer can be dangerous because if you are one of those prayer warriors, you may get to be known as the one who prays. And then people will ask you to pray. That's part of the privilege of being the chaplain or the priest. Rarely is an event to which we are invited that we are not also asked to pray. Keep that in mind when you invite him to dinner next time. He's ready. But I think of another political prayer, a guy by the name of Daniel. Now, granted, he wasn't actually the king's chaplain, but Daniel was the king's advisor, and he was well-placed. He was in the room when it happened. And he was very important and very busy, but busy as he was, he took three times a day his, to prioritize himself, to reorient himself in prayer. And he became known as one who prays. He became oft even disparaged because he was known as one who prays. Now, he may not have stood up in a pulpit or a rostrum, but he never stood down from his faith. And because of that, Daniel was perceived as being subversive to the political culture of Babylon. Even though he remained a loyal servant to the king, there were many others who did not like this priority he made to his God. From the first day, Daniel set his heart to understand and to humble himself before God. And the price for such a practice was, well, you know, you've heard the Bible story. He got to spend a little time with the lions. Well, you know what that is, right? Because he prayed, the price set on him was his life. Now, obviously, he did not lose his life, but that was what he was willing to give in order to maintain his privilege to make, to, his privilege to make prayer his priority. Well, fortunately, that doesn't happen so much in our lives, but sometimes the idea of prayer in our society, in our culture, is often considered countercultural. Something as simple as grace at meals. When was the last time you saw someone in the cafeteria or at your local restaurant stop to pray over their meal? How about you? It's a little weird, isn't it? And kind of awkward. Prayer can be a little countercultural, even like the gathering of congressmen on the House floor. <clears throat> the press had a field day with that because it was just so different. At best, the cost is minimal. It's weird, it's awkward, or worse, it's misconstrued or even maligned. Regardless of how I'd like my prayers to be considered as free from politics, there is always the argument of the separation of church and state or because people hear with their own filters. When the seed falls on that soil, 
It is received as being political or adversarial. The trolls on social media have had a field day with congressional prayers. But the price isn't always external. In fact, more often, it's not. The price is actually internal. Because when we posture ourselves before the Holy One, when we lay ourselves before God with our innermost thoughts, our innermost being, when we lay out before God our largest concerns, our biggest hopes, our deepest fears, what we're asking God to do is some soul work in us. Consider the prayer of the psalmist. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Now, there may be some lawyers among us. Did you hear that language? Examine me and try me. We put ourselves before the judgment of God and ask God to test our mind and our heart. Now that is scary. And a bit of a price, if you're willing to go there. But the other price is that you've got to be careful what you ask for. What will God find when God probes the depths of our innermost being? Not just that, but then what will he ask of us? Not burnt offerings, not our firstborn, but from, to, from the reading I read earlier from Micah, what the Lord requires of us is to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with our God. That's hard work. Are we willing to take on the expense of doing what the Lord requires of us? Are we willing to take on the price of God's answer to our prayers? You know, we're told if you pray and ask God to move a mountain, he will move it. Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened to you. But when you open your eyes from prayer and you have asked him to move a mountain, he may very well have laid a shovel next to you. Sometimes the answer is the price. But whether there be priority or price, there is always a promise. Interestingly, in a letter George Washington wrote in 1783 to the states of the new nation, he references that scripture from Micah. He included a prayer in this speech, and that prayer, by the way, is now read daily down the street at Mount Vernon. Here's George Washington's prayer. I've asked God to dispose us all to do justice to love mercy and to demean ourselves with the charity, humility, and pacific temper of mind which were the characteristics of Jesus Christ. And without a humble imitation of whose example in these things, we can never hope to be a happy nation. In the gravitas that George Washington brings to this prayer, in the piety that he demonstrates 
on behalf of our nation, what we also see is the hope that our founding father had, a hope that we each have when we pray. And perhaps this is what flummoxed Professor Einstein the most. Theorize as one will, but faith is a matter of our willingness to believe that relative to God, prayers matter. Now, I know you all are smart, but did you catch that? Theorize, matter, relative. <laughs> but promises and hope and faith are not quantifiable. But it is ours to have. It's the same hope that our Lord assured his disciples when he taught them to pray. And when you pray, Jesus said, your Father in heaven who sees you will reward you. And if one has the faith to believe, as we've said, to ask, it will be given. To seek and you will find. To knock and the door will be opened. This is the promise we have. And it is a promise that God intended us from, to, for us from the very beginning. For even the prophet Isaiah says, before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. Do you hear that? Even before you have put one knee to the ground, before you have shut your eyes, before a word has come from your mouth, God is already answering your prayers. While you are still speaking, and I would, if I could, have some license even when you can't speak, God will hear. And so, my friends, there is a privilege, a price, a priority to prayer, but the promise is ours. Call to me, as Jeremiah says, and I will answer you. I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, you do require only these things of us, that first of all, that we orient ourselves, our whole selves, our heart, our soul, our mind, our bodies, we orient them to you and give them to you, that you would make and mold of us what you would have us be and do in your world. So give us the courage to pray to you on our own, to recognize that this privilege is ours. Make us not afraid when the price for prayer seems too great, but remind us daily of the promise that is ours, that you hear us, you know us, and you will indeed care for us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.